Amen. Hey, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. It is good to see you all this morning. My name is Trey. I have the privilege of being the lead pastor here, and I just want to say um, welcome. Uh, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I hope to do so after the service, uh, but it is good to see you all. You know, um, I've been ar- around ministry uh, my whole life, and I have been in the profession of ministry, the vocation of ministry, um, for a little over eight years now. And here's what I'll say. Every time I decide to bring a guest, or I notice that a lot of my uh, students when I was a youth pastor would bring guests, we would always be talking about this subject that we're talking about this morning, right? It's when you bring a guest that the pastor stands up and goes, hey guys, guess what we're talking about this morning? Sexual integrity. And you're like, Really? This is the Sunday we're talking about this when I decided to bring somebody new? Uh, You can't just preach about Jesus. Uh, We will talk about Jesus, uh, I promise, um, because those things are not divorced from each other. Uh, So I'm excited for this morning. Like uh, Danny said, we've been in a series called The Good Life for over the past couple weeks and for the next couple weeks. Uh, We're going to be talking about how, you know, in in the new year and um, around this time, everybody's looking to improve from the previous year. So how can 2023 me be better than 2022 me? And we want whatever that is better. We want a better life. We want the good life. And more so than maybe you want the good life, I want to let you know God wants the good life for you. And he talks about how we can reshape our minds and our beliefs that will lead us to a place that is the good life. I'm going to ask a really random question, but I promise you it will make sense in, the, in just a little bit. How many of you guys like pineapples? How many of you guys don't like pineapples? Raise your hand. Okay, a couple people in the room. I'm with the people don't like pineapples. I don't, even, I don't like pineapples, period, much less on a pizza. Amen. Uh, so I... Um, I don't know if you guys know the story of the pineapple, but in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. We all know that. And when he got here, uh, he and his, uh, the people he traveled with found this fruit. It was shaped like a pine cone, but tasted like a pineapple, hence the name pineapple. And they, they thought it was so awesome and peculiar that they decided to take it back uh, with them back to Europe. Now, uh, they brought it back to the king at the time, and the king thought it was uh, such a unique fruit that the next voyage back, he commanded those voyagers to bring back a lot more pineapples. And it it became so famous that all throughout Europe, the pineapple became the sign of wealth and hospitality. In fact, you can go all over Europe and um, on top of Capitol buildings and in um, famous architects or architectures there, or I don't even know the word I'm trying to use, famous structures all over Europe. Um, there are pineapples everywhere. And at the height of the pineapple, here's what you could do. You could not buy it. You would rent it to put uh, when you walk into the room on the table, uh, when people would walk into the room, that, that kind of lobby area in, in those homes back then, you would rent it, and you would put it on a table, and people would walk in. It was a sign of wealth and hospitality, and people would just look at it. Unable to eat it, but you would just look at it. And the equivalent of money back then to now, you could rent it for right around $8,000 a night. Not even allowed to eat it. And you had to return it right after that you were allowed to rent it for about $8,000 a night. Now, that is the height of the pineapple and its value. Fast forward to now, you can walk through Winn-Dixie or Walmart, 
not Publix, a little bit pricier, but you can walk through Winn-Dixie or Walmart now and find chunks of pineapple for about 99 cents. So at one point in time, you know, 1500s, 1600s, the, high, the worth of the pineapple was here. Fast forward to 2023, the worth of the pineapple is here. What happened in this gap? It lost its worth. And then it happened overnight. It wasn't like 1642, $8,000. $1,643, $0.99. It happened slowly and probably without people even realizing it, right? Like probably generations went by where it would drop in price because as it became more common, they were able to grow it in different regions of the world. But the value of the pineapple slowly began to drop to where it almost is just like it's almost worthless for 99 cents compared to $8,000. So Trey, why do you tell that story? It's because I think in our world and our culture today, people, humanity is guilty of this, that God has placed such a high value on sexual integrity here. And our world today has valued it as 99 cent chunks. And it did not happen overnight. It happened slowly and gradually to the point where this is where we value sexual integrity today. So why do we need to talk about sexual integrity, Trey? Why do we need to talk about these things? Well, I'll, I'll give you a reason why. Number one, the world is talking about it, right? You cannot watch a movie or a TV show or listen to any song outside of K-Love. Uh, you cannot worship to any song without there being some sort of sexual agenda message being put in front of our faces. So if they are unashamed in talking about it, if they're unashamed in their agenda-pushing message that they are telling everybody, why should the church be ashamed to talk about it? In fact, let me say this. We need to be talking about it because they have it wrong, and you and I have the blueprint from the guy who designed it and created it. And let me say this. Sex is not a byproduct of sin. It was in God's original design. As a result of sin, there can be brokenness in sexual integrity. But sex is, not sex is not from sin. It was part of God's original design. And so let me say it like this. If it is God-given, it should be God-governed. So if God gave it, he should have something to say about it. Right? And so sex in and of itself is good, how God designed it. Let me give you an illustration like this. If you're in here and you're an out, outdoors person, or even if you're not, you're going to say what I'm going to say. Let's say you build a fire out in nature, right? Fire can be used for good, but if not controlled and contained, it destroys everything around it. And so God puts these parameters around this thing called sex. And what that essentially is in the, in the illustration of this metaphor, it's, it's the fire pit. It is the stone wall around the fire. And we all think, that's great, good, keep the fire contained. You move a couple pieces of stone, it catches some dry grass or some, or some leaves or whatever, and it starts to spread. Nobody's like, man, I'm so glad that fire got out and destroyed our town. <laughs> right? Nobody says that. 
But when it comes to sex, right when it gets outside of God's design, the world says, and a lot of us, maybe you have bought the lie that maybe this is good. When all it is doing is causing more damage than good because you have taken it outside of God's original design, which is between one man and one woman for life within the confines of marriage. That is good. That is how sex was designed. But there are some silent killers when it comes to sexual integrity. Number one, the main reason, the main silent killer that I believe is the silent killer for sexual integrity is this, pornography. (gasps) We don't talk about that. We're going to talk about it. It's pornography. Pornography has more views per day than NBC, ABC, CBS, and Fox combined. It is one-third of all the internet is is pornography in some way, shape, or form. If someone has a smartphone... In the span of 30 minutes, they could see more naked individuals than any pagan king in history could see in a lifetime. That is a problem. And it's something we're not addressing or talking about enough. It has gotten to the point where um, pornography, you know, your, your brain is always impressionable. No matter how old you get, it is always impressionable. And so what it is teaching you, it is rewiring your brain on how sex works and should operate. And you get so used to seeing as many people as you want, it is not training you to love one person and to be intimate with one person for the rest of your life. It's actually teaching you the opposite. It is the silent killer of a generation. And it needs to be addressed. And I'm going to talk through how we can find victory in that in just a little bit. But I think without me saying it would have been a disservice to you and to the passage that we're about to read. We need to talk about it. How about outside of pornography? What is another way that the enemy is trying to uh, lie and, and, and confuse us about sexual integrity? How about sex before marriage? How about unfaithfulness to a spouse? Well, thankfully, God addresses these problems in the Bible. So we're saying in Revelation chapter 2, as we look at another church that Jesus addresses, and this church is located in the city of Pergamum. Uh, By the way, notice when Jesus addresses these churches, he's not not talking to, hey, Harvest Community Church in Harmony, Florida. (laughs) He's not addressing Heart Cry Chapel. He's not addressing Canoe Creek. He's not addressing specific churches. He's addressing the church in the city. He's not down for brands, right? That's not our God. He's talking to those who follow him. That's a different message for a different time. But I could go to any church in this city or in this country and preach this message, and it would apply to them. So he's preaching this, he's giving this letter, this message to the church of Pergamum. And Pergamum was a Roman capital. In fact, in Roman times, it was a place of high culture. There were libraries, libraries. There were gyms, there were schools, there were art centers, there were shrines and statues and altars to all the major Roman gods. And this is what Jesus has to say to this church. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, um, if you have your Bible, turn there, phone swipe there. If not, it'll be on the screens for your convenience. Uh, But he says this, And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write this, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Sa- I know you dwell where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, 
and you did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some that you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they may eat food, sacrifice to idols, and practice sexual immorality. So also, you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. So Jesus starts off this message, this letter to this church in Pergamum, and he says, you have not wavered in your faith. You still believe. Awesome. I'm so proud of you. I know you're faithful. I know you still believe. Great. Even when you live and dwell where Satan's throne is. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean Satan is king of this land, that he's sitting on some throne? No, here's what it means. And, and the readers of this day would have understood it in the original Greek. It means that there is a giant temple and a giant statue where Zeus sits at, at this temple. And there are many people who believe and many scholars who would argue that Zeus um, was an image of Satan. Because if Zeus is the god of lightning, how does uh, the Bible describe Satan's fall from heaven? He saw him fall like lightning. That is not confirmed, but that is a major train of thought. Regardless, there is this uh, uh, throne where Zeus, a big statue of Zeus, sits on. And he goes, and I know that's where you dwell. And Zeus' worship was not innocent like you may see in some movies or TV. In fact, at the bottom of Zeus's statue, he says, you even suffered through the martyr of Antipas. Who was Antipas? Antipas was a martyr. He was a believer who preached in the streets to deny Zeus and to believe in Jesus. Well, the prophets of Zeus didn't like that, so what they did, and this was a modern practice, they sacrificed him to Zeus. And what they would do is they had this giant hollowed out iron bull that would sit at the bottom of the staircase of the throne of Zeus and they threw Antipas in this hollow bowl they lit a fire underneath him and he roasted alive inside of this iron bowl which is a very common practice in this day and age he goes and you still have kept the faith good for you good for you and so you have you you've done this even in the midst of this of this martyrdom also, Satan's throne, it meant this. It was serpent worship, a, a, um, a god that they would worship, a demon called uh, Asclepios, which was the god of healing. And what they would do is they would build this altar, and what you would do is uh, it was these two serpents that were intertwined, and that was the god they worshipped, the demon they worshipped of healing. Now, I am not one to say we need to go into every hospital and take down the, the snakes that you see, but I am saying that that influence and that, that influence is still relevant today. And the demons and all the, the, the spiritual warfare you read about in the New Testament, that hasn't changed, right? God's word says there is no new sin under the sun, meaning this. You know, the sin that wore sandals and tunics back then wears Jordans and skinny jeans now right? Like, same sin, different clothes. Same influence, just different times and in different ways. 
And so he's saying, you have, you have kept believing during this time, and you have suffered well. But I have a few things against you. Jesus. Somebody was roasted alive in front of us. We still believe you are God. What more do you want from us? And I think the theme of this letter that you and I should take and, and hold dear is God wants all of you. Not some of you, every single bit of who you are. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your obedience. He wants it all. That's why he's saying, listen, and, and you know, the, the first church and the second church and third church, now the fourth church that we're reading, he's like, good for you. You have suffered well. But there's something else I need from you. God, what more do you want from me? All of you. All of you. And so be encouraged if you have been following Jesus for what feels like decades and you still feel like that conviction of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Be, in, be encouraged that God's not done. He's still calling out and he's still calling up. Be encouraged by that. So what is God's gripe to this church? Well, it's what we're going to read about and apply to our lives today. He's saying that they have uh, accepted, some of them in the church have accepted the doctrine of Balaam. Now this doctrine, if you want to go back and read it, it can be found in Numbers chapter 2, verses 22, or Numbers chapter 2, and then chapters 22 through 25. Balaam was a prophet hired by the king of Moab, and enemy of Israel. He was hired by uh, the king of Moab to go and curse Israel. But Balaam only ever blessed Israel, and this infuriated the king of Moab. So he started offering uh, this prophet Balaam um, everything the flesh could want. And eventually, Balaam could not withstand the temptations of the flesh, so he gave in. And what he did was he began to take the daughters, the women of Moab, and begin to entice the men of Israel to where they started to uh, uh, have families with people outside of the, of the nation that they belonged to, which was against God's uh, law at the time. And they started to worship their Moabite gods. So here's what happened. Moab uh, paid this prophet Balaam who, to usher in sexual immorality which led them to idolatry. And it was a problem. And this is what God is saying. He goes, you, have, you're, you are partaking in this. Meaning this, you are participating in the sexual debauchery of the Roman gods. And many believe that the Moabite god that they would worship was a very real demon who still exists today, and his name is Baal. And Baal required sacrifice and the way he would give you pleasure would he would give you power and he would give you sexual pleasure he would provide it through various women through his prophet whatever in fact you go back to first kings chapter 18 uh, the prophet elijah looks at the nation of israel at this time and he goes uh, listen you cannot serve two gods either the god of israel is real or baal is real the god of the canaanites so, what are you going to do? Because you cannot sit on the fence anymore. He says it like this. How long will you limp between two gods? If God is God, choose God. If Baal is God, choose Baal. But you cannot ride 
the fence. And let me say this. The sin of Balaam is running rampant across the churches, across the world today. The enemy has tricked so many to believe that something like sexual immorality is harmless when it is actually hurtful. So what do we do? How do I live the good life in the midst of sexual immorality? Well, we pursue the opposite. Let me say it like this. To live the good life, we must pursue sexual integrity. To live the good life, we must pursue sexual integrity. Here's what, everybody want, here's what I want everybody to do. Deep breath in, deep breath out. I know this is a heavy topic. and I know there's not a whole lot of punchlines or jokes uh, during this message. And I don't, I don't want it to, to just be, when we leave here this morning, just going like, well, that was like punch after punch after punch after punch. I want to encourage you that God's word is not to condemn, it's to call out and call up to the good life. And the way we can find ourselves in the good life is we must pursue sexual integrity. So I know I said this earlier, but there's a phrase I like to live my life by, and it's this. If it is God-given, it should be God-governed. And God says that we need to pursue sexual integrity. So how do we do that? How, what does winning this battle look like? Well, pursuit of something means that our back is to something else, right? I know the, I know the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The Bible says, stand firm in your faith. The Bible says, do not bow to idols. But I will say this. Time and time again, the Bible does say to flee sexual immorality and temptation. It does not say to stand strong against it. It says run from it. Let me say it like this. Winning against sexual immorality is fleeing sexual temptation. Winning against sexual immorality is fleeing sexual temptation. 1 Corinthians 6.18, it says this, Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but, sexual immoral, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Why? Why does God say to flee sexual immorality? Because God knows we cannot resist it. Paul the Apostle Paul, he's talking to a, a lot of modern-day preachers at this time. He was like, some of y'all just need to go get married so that way you guys can quench the thirst for, uh, for sex. He was like, I'm not going to get married. Like, I, I can deal with it. But some of you young guys, y'all just need to go get married, <laughs> right? Like, that's what he tells his, the young prophets and, and preachers back in that day. Run from sexual immorality. Flee it. You know, it's funny to me. When I was a, a student pastor, and I would have students come up to me and be like, hey, listen, or even young adults, they'd be like, I, I'm, I'm struggling. Well, how are you struggling? I'm, I'm sexually attracted to my girlfriend or boyfriend. I'm like, well, good. Like, I would hope you would be, right? Like, that's, uh, that's not a, a sinful desire to... I would... Again, Long term, I hope you are attracted to who you're married to or are dating, right? Like, um, that's not the problem. You need to make sure, though, that you are protecting yourself, your soul, 
from these desires until one day you say, I do. So flee from those moments when you're tempted. Let me give you just a couple of practical illustrations. If you're in this room this morning and you're struggling with sexual immorality, let's, let's get really specific. You're struggling with pornography. You're struggling with pornography. Let me say this. Don't go into the bathroom with your, with your phone alone. It's a really practical setup for you. Leave it out in the living room. Leave it out in the family room. Leave it somewhere. If you're home alone, go to a friend's house. Go drive. Go mow the lawn. Busy yourself. Set up parameters to where it is not just you and your phone and nobody else will know. How about this one? If you're dating, don't be in a house alone with your partner. Stick to curfews. The most trouble I got in as a teenager and as a young adult is when my dad said be home by 10 and come at 11 o'clock, I was out doing things I was not supposed to be doing. I was good up until 10, but for some reason the devil's like 10 o'clock, temptation. Like, you know, stick to curfews. Don't be in a room alone with your door closed. You're not trapped. If you're in a car alone with your, with your significant other, with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and things start to get a little dicey, right? You are not trapped. You can open the door, close the door, and say, Mom, Dad, come pick me up. Or how about this one? If you're married, and a friendship, an unhealthy friendship, begins to develop between you and somebody of the opposite sex, and you become dangerously close slash attracted to someone like that, walk away. I would rather you lose a friendship than ruin the most important relationship that God has placed in your life. Not to say you can't have friendships of the opposite sex. It is when you are starting to become attracted and it has become dangerously close to taking that next step. I would rather you ruin a relationship and a friendship than ruin the most important relationship that God has ever placed in your life, your, your spouse. Walk away. Let me just say something to the men in the room this morning. Men, every statistic about a joyful and healthy family has to do with the involvement and commitment of the father. If the man leads the home spiritually, there's a 93% chance the kids will come to know Jesus at an early age. Almost every dysfunctional adult, almost, not, I'm not generalizing, but almost every dysfunctional adult that I have talked to or that statistics can back up, it comes from father issues. There are some exceptions, but the majority come down to a healthy father relationship or authority in the home. The majority of women who turn to vices for comfort is because the man of the house did not provide the comfort in the home. And I could go on and on and on, but I say all this to say this. I say all this to say this. I pray that the men of Harvest Community Church pursue sexual integrity and do not become distracted on what they could be missing out on, but put everything in their being into what they have been called to steward and help flourish. And no matter how strong you think you are, you need to run from temptation and to the Savior. Run. 
Run, run, run. That is how you win. Flee. You are not strong enough. Run. That's how you win. Really quickly, the second thought. How about this? Charging the credit card of grace willfully is a flag that you need to go back to the cross immediately. 1 Corinthians 6, 19, it says this. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God, not your own? I, was, I grew up playing basketball, and I went to uh, this, um, uh, this clothing store while I was in, playing in a tournament in Chicago. Um, and I went to Chicago in February from a Florida boy in Chicago in February. Let me, let me say that again. A Florida boy in the thickest jacket I owned at that time um, was a jean jacket. And that's all I wore in February in Chicago. I get off the plane. I walk out of the airport. We're waiting for our shuttle. The second I walk out of the airport, I walk right back into the airport, and I wait for my shuttle inside the airport. It was so cold. And the next, that day, our coach goes, hey, we're going to go walk around Chicago. And so I'm walking in between these buildings, and I'm hiding behind, like, the tallest player there is. I'm trying to stay warm with everything I have, and I'm just shaking. So eventually, I see a, a clothing store, and so I'm like, I need a jacket. I need something. So I turn into this clothing store, and I start looking around, and I find this winter jacket. I'm like, oh, this is a nice winter jacket. Um, I look at the price tag, and it is a $785 jacket. I almost throw up on the spot right? Like, why I threw up? Why well, I almost throw up? I don't know. It was just my immediate reaction. I was like, Bleh! like, I don't know. So I look at the price. I go to the next coat. And again, nothing under $300 there. I'm like, where's the Kmart, right? Like, excuse me, is there a Goodwill anywhere? Like, I'm a barista in college. Like, I need, I, I need a discount, right? Like, help me out. And I said, I was just like, why is this $300? Why is this $785? Well, eventually, someone who worked there was just like, well, it's the brand name. It's like the brand name in Chicago. What it was, couldn't tell you. But it was the brand name. And because that name was on the jacket, the worth of that jacket was through the roof. And I'm here to tell you, some of you have been away from the cross long enough that you have forgotten the worth of Jesus Christ. And when you remember your worth, you stop giving discounts. Do you not know that your body is not your own? That's what 1 Corinthians says. Your worth is immeasurable. Why? Just because I'm a good person? No, because you are made in the image of God, number one. You are an image bearer of him, and if you are redeemed by him, you are a son and daughter of God. And if you have forgotten that, it is time that you go back to the cross immediately, because I have been there where you're about to do something really dumb for the hundredth time, and you go, God will forgive me. Here we go. And then afterwards, it's not, man, I'm glad I did that. It's what have I done? And to prevent that, you need to run. And if you continue to run to the thing you shouldn't be running to instead of running from it to the cross, I think you need to go back to the cross immediately and remember what Jesus did for you.
remember how worthy he is. And because of how worthy he is, that worth has now been placed on you and how much worth you have. You are not, let me say it like, you are not chunks of pineapple. You're not. Repent, confess, and change. It is not worth it. Jesus is, which leads me to my third point. The ultimate satisfaction for your soul is found solely in our Savior. What did Jesus say at the end of this letter? If you will flee sexual immorality and idolatry, I will give you the hidden manna for your soul. What is that hidden manna? It's him. It's the satisfaction for your soul. It's the contentment in Jesus alone. I know I've talked about this before, but if you go to a restaurant and like me, you eat three bowls of chips and salsa from Chili's before your meal even gets out. I'm on my fourth Coke Zero before my entree even gets out. And I'm looking at this, this sandwich that's in front of me and I try to finish it, but I can barely get it down without, you know, doing one of those burps where it's questionable if it's throw up or not. And, um, you know, as a parent, you just talk about poop and throw up a lot. So bear with me. Um, I, you, you know, where it's questionable, and then the waiter or waitress comes out and like, any room for dessert? And you're like, no, I am satisfied. I am content. And when you flee sexual immorality and you go to the person, the cross of Jesus Christ, and you go to him, what you find is ultimate satisfaction in him. So when the enemy comes to you and tempts you with sexual immorality or whatever temptation, whatever vice you struggle with, it is no thank you. I am so full and satisfied in Jesus. There's no more room for anything else in my soul, in my heart, and in my life. Can you say that about your soul? That you are so full of Jesus, so full of his presence, his satisfaction, his contentment, the person of Jesus, that it's not even a temptation for you anymore. Can you say that? If not, you need to keep running from that to him. Back to the cross. Each and every, there's every person in this room is not just a number. You are a story. And Every one of us, I want you to be proud of the story you'll tell one day to your kids, to your grandkids, to your spouse, especially when it comes to sex. Say, Trey, how do I pursue sexual integrity? How do I regain sexual integrity? Three quick and easy steps. Number one, talk to God about who you want to be. When was the last time you did that? God, I want to be pure. I want to be faithful. I want to have sexual integrity. And some of you in the room, you may be like, well, you know, I haven't been unfaithful to my spouse, but uh, I do struggle with pornography. Or I, I'm not, you know, I'm not married yet, but I, I do struggle with this. I do struggle with that. But, you know, I haven't committed this, right? Well, what did Jesus say when he got here? Did Jesus say, hey, listen, uh, those who commit adultery, that's no longer a thing. He goes, no, if you look on a woman with lust, you committed adultery. So Jesus like came and was like, raised the stakes. <laughs> but he also raised our need for him. And Romans says, where sin has increased, grace has abounded all the more. So don't, don't beat yourself up of what has been done. Move on from it to where you want to be. And the only way you get to where you want to be is there has to be a couple of things. What did Jesus say in Romans, in Revelation 2? 
Repent and confess. God, forgive me. My spouse, forgive me. Here's who I want to be, and I am not that. But God, here's who I want to be. I want to be free. I want to be pure. I want to have sexual integrity. You need to go to God in prayer. Number one, talk to God about who you want to be. Number two, talk to someone about how you're going to become it. Don't just leave a dream a dream. Form a game plan. How are you going to be free from this? Figure out something. And don't talk to somebody who's going to be like, man, pat you on the back, I'll pray for you. And never checks up on you. Talk to somebody who you know will be in the battle with you. Talk to someone about how you're going to become it. And number three, walk in that plan and in prayer. Talk to God about who you want to be. Talk to someone about how you're going to become it. And then walk in that plan and in prayer. God wants to protect us. He's put the fire pit in place for a reason. And he wants us to experience general, genuine freedom in our relationships. Can you imagine a world in which people truly love God and others as Jesus called us to? A world where there is no, no, no more sex, sexual immorality? and only sexual integrity. This is what the world would look like. There would be no sexual exploitation. There would be no more sex trafficking or sex abuse. There would be no victims of pornography. There would be no sexually transmitted diseases. There would be no rape. There would be no unwanted pregnancies. There would be no crude, degrading sexual humor. There would be no debate about the morality of abortion because there would be no need for abortion. There would be no eternal sexual pain from divorce. There would be no deadbeat dads. There would be no prostitution. There would be no men who leave their wives and families for younger women. There would be none of that if there was no sexual immorality on this planet. Dre, who, who's going to live like that? My prayer is the church will. My prayer is the people who follow Jesus will. And that we would be the shining light and the shining example to the rest of the world of what a healthy sex life looks like. To live the good life, we must pursue sexual integrity. And it may not happen overnight. It may not stick with it. In the book of Judges, there's a man named Samson who God gave incredible strength to, incredible worth to as long as he never cut his hair. That was the promise he made. He was a Levite, and one day a woman named Delilah just pressured Samson into telling him the secret of his strength because Samson's strength was defeating the enemies. And how similar is that to this generation of young men, of young families that are on fire for Jesus, hungry for the Spirit of God, and they're advancing the kingdom of God, doing damage to the enemy in their communities. And the enemy will come at them with everything they have. Samson, what's the secret to your strength? The enemy's persistent, y'all. So Samson eventually gives in, and Delilah cuts his hair, and he loses his strength. And for some of you, you have been in bondage long enough from sexual immorality, maybe from the past guilt of it, the lack of healing from it, or the current practice of it. 
But here's what I'll say. When the Philistines came in and captured Samson because he has lost his strength, they put him in the bottom of this cellar and he was to grind grain and he was pushing this thing round and round and round and round. And here's what Judges says. It doesn't say that God abandoned Samson. It says, in the cellar, God was with Samson and his hair began to grow. If you're in this room this morning and you've struggled with sexual immorality for a long time, longer than most people even realize because you've kept it hidden for so long, get away with God. Talk to him about who you want to be. Talk to someone about how you want to become it. Walk in that plan and in prayer. And I promise you, as you are pursuing God, fleeing from sexual immorality, you will begin to see color in life again, strength like you've never known before. You will see the hair begin to grow. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, this is a hard subject to talk about, but it's a needed subject to talk about because it is slowly killing a generation. They have a miscued view of your original design of sex. I pray that as the church enters into this conversation that we begin to see a revolution in the status quo God, I pray over each person in this room who has walked through God's sexual immorality, whether it be through an affair that is still being healed, God, whether it be a secret addiction to pornography that nobody knows about that has struggled with in silence, God, for people dating or engaged in this room that, God, have crossed the line or are so close to crossing the line, that, God, you would reveal to them that this is not to hurt them or rob them from ultimate pleasure, but to save them for ultimate satisfaction in the confines of marriage. May we link arms, God, and and help fight this together. For the longest time, this has been the the subject that we don't talk about in church. It's nasty, it's gross, it's it's hush-hush. But God, it is a wildfire in our culture today, harming everything it touches. So God, do something miraculous. If it starts with us, it starts with us in the church. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and respond and, and worship this morning. If you just need to pray to God, I encourage you to just pray. But the God who gives deliverance from all things is the same God we serve today. Would you stand and sing with us this morning?